Oh, this is so sweet. A um, state reporter with the BBC up in Canada has advice for people who find the you will own nothing and be happy, great reset environment too expensive. Uh, one way that you can mitigate that is by speaking to your employer about getting a raise. Dang. That's why we need experts. And we have our own expert. Zach Abraham is going to join us here. We're going to talk about inflation and business models of the Fed. And plus, did you know that free college, I'm not saying taxpayer supported college, forcing taxpayers to pay. It actually is possible. But man, the party's going to hate this idea. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Great partners at Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com, been the partners of the week all week. This is thrilled to get two emails from people. One lady, 31 pounds down, not been that light since high school. Another gentleman just beginning his journey. I didn't play that clip for Zach. I wanted him to rely. I was, I like to play clips for Zach, honestly, live time. And I get to watch him. And one day when Satan is out of my production studio and is no longer messing with my tech, you'll get to see Zach too on the subscription platform. He's the chief investment officer, Bulwark Capital Management. Zach Abraham joins us. Zach, welcome back to the program. Oh, Zach Abraham. Always good to be back here, pal. Thanks for having me. It's always good to have you here. I um, I got to play this just up front because uh, I enjoy your reaction to these things. Uh, and we'll get into the college costs. And, and you and I were just talking before we started the show about, yeah, probably Harvard could, could actually pay for people to go to college there out of the money that they have in endowments and never even touch the principal. And just, just do that. But it's, it's like a perpetual motion machine in finance almost. Um, but let me just start with this. You know that Canada is far ahead of us in tyranny um, and the Great Reset. And it happens that in the you will own nothing and be happy environment, there's a lot of people unhappy because they can't own anything and they can't pay their rent and they can't buy food up in Canada. So a BBC expert, a financial expert, Zach, at the BBC state-run media in Canada um, I thought this was pretty solid financial advice, but I didn't understand it all because she kind of goes really deep into the weeds um, about, you know, finance and a lot of, um, of you know, ratios and stuff I didn't understand here. So I want you to give this a good close listen. Uh, one way that you can mitigate that is by speaking to your employer about getting a raise. Now, I'm a little unfair. I'll play the full thing for you because I, I I mean, I don't want to be unfair, but let me just play the full thing for you. They, they, they promoted this. Shelter and hydro uh, in combination uh, should be about 30% of your income. And that is much higher uh, right now, especially in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, where rents are much higher. Uh, one way that you can mitigate that is by speaking to your employer about getting a raise. <laughs> uh, with inflation, the way that it is going, um, it is completely reasonable right now, especially in this tight labor market, to go to your employer and say, I need you to bump my wage because it's becoming impossible for me to still survive in the city that I was hired in. And if that doesn't work, looking for another job, especially if you've got skills that are in demand, will often give you the bump that you need in order to afford that apartment and that rent that goes with it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So they can they can say you got to bootstrap yourself. Like, wait, I thought that that was politically untenable, right? Nobody bootstraps anymore. The reason you have bootstraps because they were given to you by somebody else. You know that whole thing. Like, right. isn't that isn't that kind of what she's saying? Yes. The, the other thing is, I wonder how much they I wonder how much they paid the think tank that thought that one up. For them. <laughs> I'll tell you, I look at this from a media perspective because she's a financial expert. Um, I can see them calling her, hey, uh, 
We just had a guest booked to talk about um, Biden's trip. Um, he canceled. It's a flight issue. Can you come on and give us three minutes on what people can do about college costs? And I can hear the person in her earhead, in her, in her headpiece going, two more minutes, two more minutes. And she's, uh, get a yeah. job. Or, and, 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 but I love that she gets paid for that. And so you don't think she's a hire for Bulwark? I mean, that's pretty solid, man. Yeah, I, yeah, she can just send her resume in. The, the one thing I will say, though, is if she was filling in for Biden, you probably got far better analysis from her. What? I mean, that like, I mean, yeah, nope. you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know the figurehead could have strung those sentences together. <laughs> well, in all honesty, I mean, she's giving advice I would give people, but I wouldn't be going to my boss saying inflation is high. So give me a raise. I might be going to my boss and saying, um, I delivered this sort of falling returns. Like I might go in and say, um, you know what, when I took over the day part here in radio, it was number 29, uh, with a bullet. Now it's number three and revenues are this high and our time spent listening to this. Um, um, and my contract says I get a bump up of X. I might do that. But to go in and say, oh, things cost a bunch, so I need a raise. Because the boss can say, things do cost a bunch. I, you know, one of the questions I ask people, I know I'm getting distracted here. Um, I asked this once of a caller who was demanding um, a huge minimum wage for people. It's like 20, 20 bucks an hour. You'll get this. I said to him, I said, what is the minimum wage for a business owner? <laughs> and, it, and it goes, well, well, 15 bucks an hour. I go, No. Well, they don't need minimum wage because they're rich. Oh, okay. Oh. So what is the minimum that all business owners earn? Dude, I don't know. I don't run a business. <laughs> Sometimes it's in the negative, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The minimum wage can be bankruptcy. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's the consolation yeah, I, prize. I feel like every, I, you know, I, I think this goes back to the brokenness of our financial system when, or excuse me, of our educational system. I've actually had these talks recently with employees, uh, you know, having different questions and, and you know, we're, we're, we're hundred percent transparent and, you know, I've got an open door policy with our, all of our employees and Hey, when there's a question, ask me and we'll go through things and just, and, and making sure that they understand the way that the business works, the way that the revenue works, the way costs work, the way your bonuses are calculated. And, you know, I think people, uh, no, unless they're taught, they see revenue and they think that that's all going into the owner's pocket. Right. And I wish that was the case. I really do. Right. Um, but just the lack of it, and, and you see it on the investment side, but that's kind of a normal thing that, you know, on the investment side, it's as bad as I've ever seen it in terms of ignorance and just, and I don't mean ignorance in a pejorative way, just the, 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 you know, textbook definition of it. But just in household financial stuff like this, understanding the way businesses work, understanding what things cost, it's just amazing, especially these kids coming out of college. They don't have, they don't have the slightest idea. No, I mean, but it's not just now. I had a, um, um, uh, a family member who has two master's degrees, um, one from Stanford, one from Yale. And oh, they're in trouble. <laughs> and she, uh, she consults school districts on curriculum. And we got into a big hefty argument uh, back on Facebook when I used to argue on social media. And I finally just asked her, um, I said, um, how much money should a business be able to keep? And she goes, my question is, why do they need any profit at all? Why can't they just break even? <laughs> yeah, and this is a person with two master's degrees. And I said, well, what does break even mean? You know, just enough to feed their families. And I said, why would they start a business? Right. Why don't they just go get a job? Right. And, and then she said, but what's the difference? Oh, okay. We can't even, I, if, I, if you don't even understand putting your, your entire bank account and life on the line. No, we can't have this talk. And, well, and Todd, and you know it because you're self-employed now. And, and that's what these people don't get. Well, you've got a bet that paid off. I'll bet you, you're making that same bet 365 days a year. You're betting it constantly. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, if I look at 98, 97 to, uh, no, hold on. Let me think about this. About 96% of my net worth at any given time is wrapped up in bullets. Right? Not, not 95, 96%. 
I mean, yeah. and, and you're get, you're essentially rolling the dice on that every day. Right. I just, and I don't, I don't expect to get some special treatment or anything like that. But what, what I do expect is governments like the government is the only, like it, it, the relationship between government and taxpayers, specifically business owners, it's right. They technically work for us, right? We're their client. Right. And, and it is such a, it is such a contemptuous relationship. Like who treats, you know, it, you look at, you look at the evil 1%, right? Yeah. What other business entity treats its number one customer with such, with such disdain as government does? Oh. You know what I mean? Oh. It's just, it, 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 it's so odd when you think about it, just from a common sense perspective. Oh, it's mind boggling. And, and, but a lot of these guys, men and women are, are results of, of colleges. I had a similar conversation with a younger family member and he heard me on the radio talking about the fact that in Washington, DC, people get paid three times the amount of money as the average American citizen, three times. And he said, he wrote me a note later, said, hey, I heard your show, always interesting. By the way, I would point out that those of us in Washington, D.C. Um, have, have master's degrees. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I wrote back to him and said, did you accidentally hit send? He goes, what do you mean? I said, because I thought you were going to make some point about how you provide value. Well, we're, we're highly educated. And, right. I, and I'm still, right. but wait, did you hit send accidentally again? Because I'm waiting for the part where that pays off because, yeah. and, and this is the question, like I, I years ago, 1996 started to do a topic back in talk radio when I used to do it for a living, which I guess I do now again, talk, uh, podcasting. Um, but you know, part of the tech days and earning some money, uh, I did a, a series of, of shows uh, asked saying is college worth it? Basically back then I said, is, is college CRA bull droppings. And yeah. it was a fascinating discussion because I would get people like you, you know, serious entrepreneurs who would call and say, yeah, you know what? I have to retrain every college graduate who comes into my business. I have to show them, no, nope, yeah. that's not yeah. how accounting works. Nope. That's not how we reflect it. Nope. That's actually not how we calculate our revenues. No, that's actually not how we invest our monies. No, that's not how right. we create a spreadsheet. Do you find the same thing? hundred yeah. percent. And, and, the, the, uh, I, I, you know, I get, I get stuff thrown at me all the time, resumes thrown at me all the time. And, and, um, when one of the things that I pay, I, if, if somebody has a degree, I kind of just nod and look at it because I just know as a business owner, it has very little to do. And this, this kind of goes back to that conversation we were just having about government. Yeah. And one of the things that irks me is if you understand economies, right? If you have the basic understanding of economy, what is profit? Profit is value creation, right? That's the only reason you're getting a profit is because you are creating value, right? So when those people are sitting there making that comment, you're sitting there going, look, listen, the creation of value is what has made us the most dynamic economy in the history of mankind. It's also what's made us the richest country in the world. Okay, if, 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 the, if, if that value created ceases to be the reward for creating value, then everybody will stop and you will very quickly turn into the USSR where we've got car factories where cars are getting spit out with three wheels and no steering wheels. Right. Right. Like, right. like because there's no incentive to create right. value. Who cares? Anymore. And you, yeah. And, and, and it seems simple because I think all of us that are rational and are free market people get this, but I've actually had to have these conversations with, you know, uh, potential uh, employees and even employees where I just go, no, no, hold on. You've got this wrong. You're looking at this. Like if, like, for instance, you look at our business, right? If we weren't properly managing risk and keeping our clients portfolios on track with what they need to finance their lifestyle, right? My business would fold up really quickly. Yeah. And right. That profit, that reward is the incentive that drives you every single day to create profit. Right. You know, are there situations where monopolistic practices, uh, kick in. Yeah. But you, you've got the apparatus to deal with scenarios like that. It's called the antitrust laws. See Teddy Roosevelt at the turn of the century, right? Turn of the, the, the 20th century. Um, so if, if you're talking about a monopoly, that's a completely different deal. But these people that advocate for that, you sit there and go, you know, it's kind of like talking to a child. You go, listen, I know you think you want that, but you don't, you don't want that. 
hey, that will make your life substantially less comfortable, substantially less safe, substantially less productive. You don't want that, trust me. But these people are adults and they vote. And that's, that's the problem. I had, um, when I had the internet radio company, I had a um, employee get super upset when she got a copy of the cap table. Um, and she wasn't supposed to have it. In her defense, someone left it laying around. So the cap sheet to see who, you know, owned what percentage yep. of the company stock. And she came and, and was really furious with me. And I also had an open door policy. And she said, I, can, I, can I come in? Sure, sure. I am really steaming mad right now. All right, well, tell me what's going on. I found this and I've been reading it. And is this accurate? And I looked at it and said, um, number one, I can see that you're really upset. Number two, um, you're, you, you, that's a really bad thing you just did. Um, that's not your information. You have no business knowing what your fellow employees own of this company. You could ask them but they're not supposed to tell you. Now, since then I've changed my view on that. I, if I were to do another, you know, startup where we had equity, I would tell everybody, here's what you own and why I would tell everybody. But at that point, our venture capitalists didn't want us doing that. So I had a long talk with her. I put off two meetings because she'd been with us from the beginning. And finally she said, well, I want to be a manager. I deserve this. I want to be a boss. I was here when this company started, I should be a boss. I said, okay. Um, what, where, where do you want to boss? She was, what do you mean? I said, well, where do you want to boss? Programming. Okay. Okay. Let me talk to, let me talk to Matthew. And Matthew was my dearest friend. And by the way, had gobs of experience in the record industry, the radio industry. He was the youngest program director in a major market in history, like in the top tens. He was very good at what he did. I went to him and said, would you let her manage this department for a week. And he goes, Oh, she, she can't do that. I said, I know that. <laughs> I know that. But, Boy, no. but, but you know what happened, right? He said, I'll let her try it. So we sat down and Did she make it three days. How long do you think she made it? I, I my guess would be two, two and a half days. <laughs> so he let her shadow him for one day. And he said, now watch me. She made it half a day. Okay, yeah, there you go. There she, you go. She, and you want to know why? Is because she got two employees furious because she was in the way of them getting their work done. She screwed up the scheduling of her studios. Um, then she found herself too busy doing her own work to respond to this. And they got into a pushing match. And her result, her, her response to that was to yell for me. To yell, Todd, Todd. <laughs> and I come walking in and of course walk in and say, no, not here. Separate. And that was the end of that story. That was it for her. And, and hey, we, 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 we've had, we've had, I've, I've, we've got great employees. So I haven't had this. I, I had this chat once with an employee of ours, but with several prospective people that want a job. Yeah. And of course, typically with no experience, they want to come in and for whatever reason, they think that they're a really good stock picker or money manager. And they go, well, I want to actively manage money. And I go, fantastic. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up, a, I'm going to set up a paper trading account for you, or you can put your own money into an account. Yeah. And I want you to watch, I'm going to watch you run that portfolio for five years. And if you put up good returns over the course of five years, we can talk about, and then that's always the end of the conversation, <laughs> you know, and it, and it's, they're like, well, yeah, but I want to be doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we'll put in 15 years, put in 15 years and you can do what I do, yeah. you know? And, and the other thing is, is I go, you want to do what I'm doing, but you don't want to pay the price that I paid. You know, do you almost want to lose a house? Do you want to bet everything you own multiple times on businesses and come close to failing? Yep. Do you want to live on, you know, do you want to be living hand to mouth because you don't know if you can pay next month? You know what I mean? Like nobody, everybody looks at the end result and goes, it's not fair that you have that. And you sit there and go, wait a second. It, I, it wasn't really fair for the first 10 years when I had nothing. Exactly. Right? Like, what? Exactly. I used to say this to government people um, when they would come in with diktats 
Um, hey, hi, we're with the city of Seattle. Um, we've got some posters for you to hang up and, and, uh, we need to have a session. And this is, you know, when Seattle was really starting to turn bad, um, we need to have a, an, an orientation session for managers. Um, and so people who are equity owners, like what? Yeah. We need to talk about treating employees, et cetera. And, and I walked in because we had to, and I sit down and I said, can we start real quick? Um, and let's just get everybody's business experience in here. And, and can I start with you? Oh, well, uh, I don't have any business experience. Okay. Uh, next. And there were three people there from the city of Seattle. Not a single one of them had ever worked at a business. Not once. And I said, okay, just understand that as we go through this meeting, um, I'm not listening. I will be here physically, but everything you say to me is immaterial because none of you were here when this started. None of you watched me eat. Um, and I'm saying literally four day old chicken from a convenience store because I asked the guy, do you really have to throw away the three day old chicken? Could I buy it at midnight with money? I borrowed from my girlfriend. Who's now my wife. Right. Um, none of you, I didn't see you when I was selling blood for money. Didn't see you there. Right. Didn't yeah. see any of that. Um, so I'll sit here physically, but there's nothing of value you can provide me in this room because I guarantee I already treat my employees better than, than any rules. So, um, but a lot of this is a result of college, which is why I wanted to talk to you, Zach, as we continue about um, a way to do legitimately free college. Now imagine this, um, and I don't necessarily want this. In fact, I don't, because I think the more people pay for college, um, actually pay the whole freight, the better colleges will be. And we won't have situations like this. Zach and I talking about employees who have to be retaught. So we'll get to that in just a second because these endowments, we could play with these in some pretty cool ways. We'll talk about inflation, Mayor Pete versus math. This is so cool. My friend, John, who is the boss over at Allen's Artisan Soaps, his son is the chief soap officer, one of his sons, his three sons. Um, Ian is one of his sons and Allen is the namesake and the chief soap officer of Allen's Artisan Soaps. Um, they've got um, this very cool program they put together for business owners. So if this conversation has piqued your interest, dig this. You can support the mission of Allen's Artisan Soaps, which is to show that even kids like Allen who can't, he, he can't speak sentences because of his um, placement on the autism scale. He'll be in surgeries for the rest of his life, in all likelihood, because of the structural um, challenges that the Lord has, has, has given him. He'll be like that for the rest of his life. Um, so you have an opportunity to show that, no, of course, people like Alan have value. He invents soaps, and they're some of the most creative scents that exist, like applewood hickory is the new one, or neutral. It's natural. There's no scent. And you can do this by gifting your customers as a conversational piece. So they've set up a DIY gift pack because business owners ask for this at allenssoaps.com slash Todd. It comes with 24 bars of soap. You get at your choice, 20% off of those, by the way, includes 24 hand stamped craft handle bags, 50 sheets of craft tissue paper at checkout. At checkout only, you get this option for 24 sisal pouches or soap racks, both also at 20% off. You add your business card to this. It's a th in a thank you note. You also then get to say, the reason I support Allen's soaps is because they hire people like Allen to help. This is a way to show other business owners we don't all need to use robots for everything. When you have talented people like Alan, he may not be able to speak, but God gave him a creative mind and a superior sense of smell, superior olfactory senses. It's allenssoaps.com slash Todd. That's A-L-A-N-S soaps.com slash Todd. It's a way for your business to help this business and both businesses to say, you know what? God made Alan's life and it matters. Allensoaps.com slash Todd. Zach Abraham's with me and we've been looking at the possibility of doing actual free college without taxpayer money. We're looking at the endowments. Um, prior to taking uh, a little bit of a loss, Harvard had been at the height. They'd had a $50 billion endowment endowment. Um, I'm looking at numbers from 2000, from yeah, 2020, they floated between, um, yeah, about, they floated about that 40 billion, $50 billion. Um, and with that money, Zach, 
I mean, how much money could they earn uh, just on simple interest? And how could they apply that to actually say, we don't need taxpayer money because these, these Harvard's still sucking up all sorts of taxpayer monies to send people through their indoctrination centers. So 50 billion or even 40 billion. I mean, you're the, you're the finance guy. Is it possible that they could develop enough money to have like this revolving account just to send a bunch of people to college? Yeah. Well, I mean, so it, it, what was the, I think the exact number was 42 billion on it. So, I mean, you can generate a 4% return very with very, very little risk and volatility in the portfolio. If they have 10, and I was just doing that math on my, on my phone, 10,000 students at a hundred grand a year. Right. Um, and, and that's, and the funny thing about that is if they were paying for the student too, right. Uh, that, that, you know, that, that tuition that the student is paying has, if they're paying the full freight, there's some profit built into that, right? There's excess, there's, there's excess to the college, but yeah, if it, that's $1 billion a year. So to, to, for, for tuition for all their kids, 10,000 kids, hundred grand a year, billion dollars, uh, one nine zeros, right? Um, and yeah, 4% returns would net them right around 1.8 billion. So they'd be able to stock away. They'd be able to stock away an additional 800 million into their endowment per year and cover all their student costs. Why in the world, if, if students go to college and we get means tested, why in the world would colleges get federal funds without being mean tested too? Exactly. Like it, it, it's, that's insanity. I mean, they're getting federal tax dollars when, and people keep this in mind too. This isn't like saying a company's market capitalization is worth $50 billion. We're talking about $50 billion in cash and security sitting in an account. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not like where, where, you know, Tesla, you know, they say Tesla's worth $700 billion. Tesla might only have, you know, five, $7 billion in cash on hand. We're talking about $50 billion of liquid cash and security here. I mean, they, and, and, and we're siphoning, we're, we're pumping them tax dollars. It's, this, this, this is insane. It's the biggest, and then we talk about wealth inequality. Right. It's the biggest scam in the world, what big college does. Because let's keep this in mind. If you go to Harvard and you're working in, um, what are sort of hard sciences, although they're being softened by the party all the time, such as biology. What's a woman? Well, we don't know. There's no way to know. Um, if, if, if you're working in the chemistry department and you're going to get a master's degree or, or they say, yeah, we're doing some work for a pharmaceutical company and it's located in, in communist China. Um, and we're going to take your research that you do and we're going to sell it and we're going to patent it. Uh, and our professors take a ride on that and our department heads take a ride on that. And we're going to own that. And then they'll turn around and do government projects, but they get to keep the IP. So they're working for the taxpayer, but we get to keep the intellectual property. It's the biggest possible scam. And they continue to drive these costs up every single stinking year with, with government guarantees that we're going to provide this much taxpayer money into these entities and that allows them to continue to build these, these, you know, obscene. And I do say obscene, if it was just them and they're providing the value, that's one thing, but because they're forcibly taking money from our listeners, it is obscene. Well, and they're, and they're a nonprofit organization, right? They've got taxes to exempt status. There are the, all those core. I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, every single no, there, college is a 501c3. There, there are some. There are some um, laws that have been passed, and Harvard is pushing back against this. Um, there was a 2017 tax law on university endowments, and that was for the first time ever, Zach, ever. And Harvard is lobbying Congress to reduce this tax. So they the, tax the rich, but not this rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, yeah I, I'll tell you. You want I I. Here's the way I would do this with with these uh, with state universities. You want to see a, a monumental change in quality, etc. I would do this. All classes are available online for free. They're taxpayer funded. They're all available for free. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, you could watch any course. You can go through all the continuing materials. Um, use ta use textbooks. Um, they have to be at cost. You buy them at cost. Well 
And then, then let me get you this. They, let me get you this. You go through the whole thing. You go through that. Let's say you stay home. You can't afford the full full freight. You watch the courses. You have the textbooks that you get at cost. If you pass the tests, you're in. You got a degree. And there are people who say, but you're missing the conversations and the, and the time with the professors. You're right. I can't afford it. But you start doing that and see who performs better in the job market. I'm going to bet it's the people who weren't sitting in those seats getting browbeaten by these professors. And it's going to put downward pressure on, on these performances. And then at Harvard, how are you going to compete with, I can sit at my house and watch this stuff? Because there's an open, I have um, uh, one of the podcasts I subscribe to is you get to watch a lot of lectures from Brown or Harvard. And from time to time, if I'm curious on a topic, I'll watch a lecture series, but you never get the whole thing. You know what I mean, you do that. And then the other thing I would do, Zach, is I would put side by side. Tell me what you think of this. Everything, everything can be apprenticed. Everything. Everything has an apprentice track, period. And that. It makes so much more sense. I mean, if you look at modern day college, right, with, 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 a, with a few exceptions, it really is the textbook definition of a racket, right? I mean, it, it's a, it, yes. it, literally, it literally is a racket. Come get yourselves $250,000 in debt to make thirty-five grand a year. Where else in the world would we do this? And these guys advocating people skip college, and people go, yeah, but what about the value of the education? You can't put a you can't put a price value on it. And I'm like, oh no, you can, right? I mean, yeah. it's the cost of a it's the cost of a Kindle and an Amazon Prime membership. Boom, there you go. There's your cost. Of, because what is education? It's not the indoctrination nonsense that you go learn in colleges today, yeah. right? It's, it's actually learning things. And like you said, I, like I'm an employer, and I'll just tell you right now, if if a guy walked in with no college degree and a CFA, which means he'd be a, he's a chartered financial analyst. I, and I, I told one of my employees that he's getting a CFA right now. He was thinking about getting a master's and I go, don't, it's a waste of money. Go get a CFA. It actually means something, yeah. right? If you pay the money and sit in the class, every, you and I both know nobody fails out of a master's program. Nobody, because it hurts the look of the graduating numbers, yeah. right? If you, if you warm a seat in a master's program, especially the better the master's program, it's even worse. I mean, yeah. you go, nobody has ever failed out of Harvard MBAs, right? right? No, nobody. And, and it, so when I see something like a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, that's a really big, brutal test that's really hard to pass. That means something. And it's got a lot more applicable knowledge and a lot more work ethic that goes into it. I, I, I tell kids all the time, one of my cousins, my little cousin, he's about six years younger than me. He got out of the military and he's built himself a wonderful little real estate business, flipping houses, owning them, renting them out. He's doing great. And uh, he came to me and asked me the same thing. Should I go to school? And I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I really like real estate. And I go, absolutely not. School would be a complete waste of your time. Right. And he goes, I've got the G and he goes, well, I've got the GI bill. And I go, okay, well that makes it more palatable. But I go, the GI bill is also going to give you extremely low and advantageous interest rates yeah. that you can use to buy other properties. And I go, your money's better spent doing this. I gave him a list of 10 books and I go, you read these 10 books, you're going to come out with way more knowledge and way more street smarts than any college degree is going to get you. It's just a racket, man. One of the like most disappointing and yet uh, enlightening and entertaining experiences I ever had uh, was I was a return guest lecturer at UCLA Anderson. Um, and I did that in the media program. So I would lecture executives who wanted to get up to date on digital and young people who were candidates to be MBAs. Um, loved that. And there was an NYU professor who learned about this and she invited me um, to be a guest lecturer at NYU. So I went for an event and did two days at NYU and we got done. And she came up to me and she said, that was extraordinary you really have a gift for teaching and you really, uh, I, I mean, uh, some of the material is not new to me, but the way you think of it is very new and you really inspired a lot of these students. And I would like to, you know, I'd like to propose that you become a professor here and I'm willing to put my, my reputation on the line to have you invited to be a, a professor at NYU. I said, Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to be a professor. That's a dream. Yes. Yes. I, I've always wanted to live in New York. Yes. I'd love to do this. She goes, oh, fantastic. So what do we do? Well, there's one thing I need you to know is that I don't have a degree. And she said, oh, well, we can fix that. No, no, we can get you your master's really quickly. I can already tell. No, I 
don't have any college degree. Oh, wow. I said, so that changes things, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh my gosh, but it shouldn't. <laughs> and I said, do you think that this communicates a problem with the university system? She goes, I, I'm flabbergasted. How? It, 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 she said, it does communicate a problem. And it continues to, and it continues to be a scam. Uh, we'll shift gears with Zach. Um, he has some things to talk about on the inflation front. And I have some things to talk about related to that uh, with Mayor Pete, who has his job because he's same-sex attracted. That's, that's put that on the resume. You can learn that at Harvard. Oh, you can learn that in kindergarten these days. Teaching that in kindergarten. They are here. The Todd Herman Show t-shirts are here. There is a picture of my friend, the jiu-jitsu weasel, who is a uh, black belt and then some in jiu-jitsu. Uh, uses it to defend his life on a daily basis. Teaches cops how to use it. Uh, combat vets, former pastor, former social worker, incredible guy. Uh, he's wearing his Todd Herman Show uh, t-shirts. He got the one with Christ's cross and the lion, uh, the cross of Christ and the lion on the front. It says, the only knee we take is to the Lord. And by the way, ain't no ain't no human man going to force the, the weasel to take the knee. I'll tell you that right now. The shirt looks great on him. It'll look great on you. There are two versions of the shirt. And I got a note from Randy, the guy who does our T-shirts earlier today, a little bit of panic in, in the tone of his text. Uh, so apparently you started selling some T-shirts and didn't tell me. This is great. Uh, give me a heads up on how long this is going to go. So we did a thousand of these shirts, sold uh, most of them in one day at Bothell, Washington at an event. The second run is here now. I can tell by the tone of Randy's text that they're going to need to catch up a little bit. Um, once you get the shirts, do what the weasel did. Put that up on social media. We'll keep track of that stuff. Tag us so we know it's there. Um, and then we will use that to create a contest. We're going to have uh, some form of little exclusive get together. We'll all talk, maybe virtual, maybe in person, depending on where it's all at. Other things, other things from the show. You get the t-shirts at the ToddHermanShow.com. The ToddHermanShow.com. Click on the store link. They're 19 bucks. No, they're not. They're 19 bucks uh, for us. We sell them for 29 bucks. So uh, I'm making 10 bucks off this minus the cost of paying myself to speak. And man, I'm expensive. Crazy. I'm thinking about firing myself. People do this job for, for less. Zach Abraham's with us. Um, Zach, before we uh, get to the conversation about inflation, I think this is related. We were talking about college. Um, Thomas Massey, Representative Massey has a degree from MIT. Um, in this clip, we have two clips here. He's talking with Mayor Pete, who runs the entire infrastructure and transportation system of the United States of America, based on his solid qualification of same-sex attraction. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it. Will well, let be me help you. Let me help you with overall. that first before we go on, because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be, so if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of 50% of adoption instead of 100% adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. I'll unfold this for us on a macro level, because what I'm hearing is a whole bunch of copper and infrastructure that's going to have to get built if we want to get anywhere near this. And your other thoughts on this, then we'll get to the second clip. The, the it's, I mean, it's a rat's nest. So first of all, like you said, you, you're ta you've got to take a look at the raw, uh, excuse me, the rare earth metals that are required. Like you meant, mentioned the other commodities, copper, the, 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 exponentially greater amount of oil that's required to make an EV. And then, you, then you've got to look at 
then you've got to look at what, I mean, because here's the other thing. Everybody just acts as if we can plug these things in. You heard what he said. I mean, if you double or quadruple the amount of power, if you're having rolling brownouts and things like that across the country right now, do you know what would happen? I mean, the whole grid would be reduced to a pile of ashes. Then you've got to ask yourself, okay, how do we extract those rare earth metals? Okay, then, and, 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 you know, that, 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 that has a carbon footprint. And, and then you've got to also sit there and go, okay, and if we do all of these things, how much does that lower global emissions? Because global emissions are the only thing that matters, right? Whether, whether you're pumping out carbon in India or Tacoma, Washington, it doesn't matter. And so you look at that and the net, the net impact that them achieving their goals, the net impact it would actually have on carbon emissions is virtually nothing. It's nothing. So there's this second clip as Massey continues. Um, and then I cut this off early, uh, but he asks about the infrastructure. Secretary Buttigieg, I've been driving an electric car for 10 years and I've had solar panels for 15 years and I'm really bullish on technology and the way it could help make our country energy independent or more energy independent. But I'm really alarmed at sort of the naivete of those who are sort of uh, promoting rapid adoption of these technologies with our existing infrastructure. President Biden signed a non-binding executive order stating that 50% of, of vehicles sold in the United States should be electric by 2030. Do you support that? Yes. And he also said that by 20, 2035 that 100% uh, of the federal fleet, federal government fleet should be electric. Do you support that? Yes. So um, which uses more electricity? We're talking about residential electricity here. A refrigerator when it's running or an electric car when it's charging in your garage? I would expect a car. Uh, would you say it uses twice as much or 25 times as much? I would think closer to 25 times as much. Yeah. It's, it's actually 50 uh, <laughs> in, at the instantaneous <laughs> moment. But over the course of a year... If I take the numbers from the U.S. Department of Energy about the average household, how many vehicles they own and how far they drive, over the course of a year, uh, an American household would use 25 times as much electricity for their electric cars they would for their refrigerator uh, if they had 100% adoption. If, if and the average family has two vehicles, and this would be if the average family had two electric vehicles. What, what do you hear as a guy who looks at economies of the globe when you look at what these guys think they can get done? Because I cut it off early. It was my fault. Because he followed up to say, can our infrastructure support this? And Pete Buttigieg, who has his job because he's same-sex attracted, said, well, we'll have to. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I'll just go back to I'll just go back to my analogy of saying it's third grade diplomacy, right? Uh, or third grade economic management. Meaning, this is a really simple concept. Okay, so energy is energy. But bottom line, whether you're using coal, whether you're using electricity, whether it's wind power, whatever, a, a three thousand or four thousand pound car, okay, needs X amount of energy to move a mile. Period. The reason we've used fuels like oil and, and in some cases even natural gas is because it is the most cost-efficient way to deliver that energy. So the other thing that you're not even talking about, you know, you and I have talked about the, the, the commodity needs for it, right? The infrastructure needs, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, like the, the I mean, what it's going to take in terms of carbon emissions and dollars and labor to build a grid that can handle one tenth of that amount of power, let, let alone all of it, right? Like I said, if, if people are looking at the grid today and they acknowledge there are problems with the grid, right? And you see the rolling blackouts and you see the rolling, you know, uh, brownouts is what they call it, all that kind of stuff. How much money invested do you think it's going to be? Now, remember, we're not even talking about the power generation yet, right? We're just talking about the capital invested and the time invested to rebuild the grid, right? I, I've heard estimates, Todd, that rebuilding the entire grid to a point where it can handle this. Now, guys, this is not my field of expertise, so I could be way off. But I have heard estimates from credible sources throwing out numbers between 35 to $50 trillion to build a grid that can handle this, right? You're talking about two to two and a half times our entire GDP, 
Okay. Oh. And not even, not even the amount of time. The, that's the whole problem is there's, there's the conspiratorial side of this, which I, I, I think, you know, I've talked about before that very much exists. This, but then there's just the complete government way of planning this. It, it's the way it, it's not even that the goal is bad, right? It's the way that they're trying to roll it out and mandate it. And it's the people who are going to pay for this. The people who are going to pay for this are the people on the lowest end of the economic sector. And they're going to get this. If you think $7 natural gas and $4 at the pump is bad, wait till you start paying power bills. Right. And it's, that's, like my buddy said, and I think I've said this on the show before, this is the most frustrating part. We're talking about physics and ideology. Anytime physics and ideology clash, physics is undefeated. It's undefeated, <laughs> right? It, it, it's just, it, it's ludicrous. I mean, it's just, and it's not, it's not that we have to disagree with the policy. It's that you, you might as well come out and said that our, our big plan to save the planet is to build a giant, uh, unicorn ranch. I, I mean, it, that, that's just that's as serious. Idea. Right. That's a pretty good uh, idea. Yeah. Actually. I mean, well, I mean, unicorns eat grass and they fly, you know, and there's no emissions. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, I, yeah. I did the same and they thing. only have, they only have one horn as opposed to two, like a deer. So they're even more wind, you know, they're even more wind efficient, right? They're coefficient of flying to it. Less I mean, they, there's your answer. Yeah. There's your answer. All right. Well, we've solved that. Um, at least we've yep. got this good news that despite inflation, um, the Fed's balance sheet is growing. That seems like a <laughs> fantastic business model. I love that business model. So you've got the unicorns um, solve the energy crisis. That's solid. Unicorn farms. Um, and then how does it exactly work that everybody else's costs are going up? Um, the cost of fuel, food, shelter, um, military spending, phones, education, et cetera, ad nauseum, medicine, healthcare, everyone else is paying more. And the so-called federal reserve is sitting there going, sweet. Is that real? That's real. That's a, that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't think that there's so much saying sweet. It's, it's, <laughs> it, I, what I think it shows in my opinion is it shows the political nature of the Fed, right? Because if, if they were really ter- determined to stamp out interest rates, because so think about, and, and, and there's some of this that is philosophical because we're, we're in places right now in economics, when we look at what central banks are doing, We've just never been here before. So anytime I make an assertion, I want to throw in that caveat. That this is all experimentation based on, you know, hey, for instance, just look at it from a, from a, from a 30,000 foot view. Yeah. Interest rates are the cost of capital. We've had 0% interest rates now for the last 15 years. Now they've climbed recently, obviously, but that is the first time in recorded human history where the cost of capital is zero because of course it's not right. The cost of capital isn't zero or nobody would like, right? Um, so, if you're, try, if you're trying to stamp out inflation, the, the way the Federal Reserve has stimulated the economy is twofold. A, they suppress interest rates and push them artificially low to make it cheaper to borrow money. And then they literally print money. Now, they don't even really print it. They push a button and it just appears in the Federal Reserve account. And then they buy assets, right? They buy up bonds. They buy up, um, so they, they haven't bought stocks yet, but they bought, shoot, they bought fallen. I mean, they Land. bought in, uh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, they bought companies that, or they own, they own holdings, you know, they own debt that's levered against land. Oh. So, I mean, it's, it's their one step removed, but I mean, in the last one, they even bought corporate bonds. So if they were really serious about stamping out inflation, I've always come at it from the side of the view that I don't think they need to run interest. Cause once again, right. If you're rich interest rates going up, uh, 75% on a mortgage doesn't really bother you. You're paying, you're probably paying cash anyway. Yeah. Right. Like if you're rich. So what they're doing now, the, the two forms of stimulus, they've only peeled one back. It's the interest rate. Well, who does that disproportionately hit? It's the guy that has to borrow. The one side of it, I felt like they always should have approached it and said, okay, what we're going to do to tamp down inflation is we're going to move interest rates up a little bit, but we don't want to hurt the little guy. But what we're going to do is we're going to sell off our assets. We're, we're going to we're going to we're going to normalize our balance sheet. And who does that hurt? 
It hurts the other guys that own those assets. Who owns the most of those assets? The rich guys, right? So the Fed said, we're going to start hiking rates and we're going to normalize our balance sheet. Their balance sheet is continuing to grow, right? So once again, you can sit there and look at their policy, forget what they're saying, right? They want to attack inflation, but they still want to buoy asset prices for their rich buddies. Right. And, and that's now they're going to come at you with a different argument and say there's academic reasons for why that is. Um, This is why from the beginning of this, probably 12 years ago, when they talked about normalizing the balance sheet, we just, you know, I, I was laughing my tail off and I was sitting there saying, look, once you start this game, the Federal Reserve will never fully normalize. You can take that to the bank. And it isn't about really battling inflation. I think this is a political exercise to try to make the optics as good as they possibly can going into the fall election. Because like I said, if you were really trying to hammer inflation, you would go lighter on the interest rate cuts because those are going to be the most damaging to the people that, you know, that, that have no choice but to borrow. And you'd, 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 you'd put the pain on the shoulders of the Black Rocks of the world, yeah. right? You'd roll those balance sheets off. I, um, but, but they're not, they're still buying assets. I, I'm continually now fascinated. And I know that some people find this, um, morbid. I don't, I, I'm continually fascinated now with judgment day and the judgment throne. And I, I just had this image flash before me. Um, and look, I am aware, Zach, you can see the, you know, the forest of logs sticking out of my eye. And so I'm aware I am not one to go around pointing fingers because um, only by redemption and grace am I saved. And I need redemption and grace several times a minute. Um, Amen. But I am fascinated with the Jerome Powell's of the world going to the judgment throne um, and the BlackRock CEOs going to the judgment throne and the Lord Jesus simply like putting one picture up there and it's a snapshot of their balance sheet um, and people they stole land from. Yeah, and, and, and I, the, look, no, I just I see the Lord not even speaking. Just, 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 you, you don't, just putting that there for him. And maybe they just don't need to. they turn and put themselves in hell. All right, I get it. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, they, they try to buy them way out. I, I, I imagine this. Look at, listen, listen. I've got some assets hidden. <laughs> They, they try to, they try to, you and the Lord would be saying, hidden? What's that mean? Is that morbid or horrible? No, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's morbid or horrible. I think it's, I, again, I think it's kind of an observation of fact. And, and this is why Powell, now Powell wasn't even there when this whole thing got yeah. started. And um, so, you know, it's, I, I don't mean to beat up on him. I mean, this was, this was Bernanke's baby from the very beginning. And then Yellen took it another step further and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he inherited the tough hand. So all, just putting it down. Okay, fair enough. Um, but, but having said that, it, the way that they attack every – he was getting interviewed not too long ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. And somebody on the subcommittee brought up um, uh, the record gap between the rich and the poor, right? The, the record wealth. Yeah. Uh, uh, disparity. And he said, yes, the federal reserve had, that hasn't had anything to do with that. And he sat there and went, wait, okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. The, the vast majority of that wealth has been accumulated via land in the stock market. Correct. And Powell, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So your balance sheet pre 2008 was $880 billion. Today it stands at seven. Trillion. You're telling me that hasn't had something to do with the with the historic rise in asset prices across the board. Right? Like, and and then when it comes to tamping down inflation and reining things in, yeah. you keep accumulating assets, but you jack the rates, which once again puts the inflation cost on the those least capable of paying it. And meanwhile, and and here, look, I'm not saying Powell gets up in the morning and goes. I'm going to do what's best for BlackRock. I'm going to do what's best for BlackRock. I'm going to do what's best for BlackRock, right? I'm not saying he does that. But is it shocking that all of these guys then leave their Federal Reserve posts and get 3 to $5 million a year consulting to these big financial firms and their monetary policy is virtually always asset price friendly and lays the cost on the average consumer? 
Well, it's consistent yeah, every but, single time. Look, in, in, in Secretary Powell's defense, a lot of people have. But if you, so if you look at it, it, uh, the strength of the economy, households are in very strong financial shape. They've still got a lot of excess savings. They got excess savings, Act. I mean, that's Powell himself explaining it. That's, that's, so we can't have that excess savings laying around. It's like having fat on the body. So yeah, he inherited a tough hand. You know what else he could do? And imagine this. Imagine, this is why I pray. Honestly, I pray for, um, I, I can't call them leaders because they're not. I don't do this enough. I, I really don't. And I confess it. I don't do it enough. Um, I'm going to begin each show. I, I can't say that. God willing, I'm going to make my best effort to begin each show, praying for the people we're going to critique that the Lord would come straight to them and show them their wrongs. And can you imagine if someone like Powell, if the Lord did a, an Apostle Paul moment with him, like Secretary Powell is on his way to eat somewhere, uh, you know, 400 bucks per plate. Um, and he gets to double and triple park in DC because he's got the right license plate numbers. Um, and he's walking in and the Lord Jesus just comes to him and says, you know, hey, Powell, who are you? I am Jesus. And it's my people that you're, that you're maligning and, and crucifying. And he blinded him. Can you imagine Powell coming back and telling the truth? Honestly, what would be the first thing that he would say? I'm not asking you to think like God, because neither of us can. But if the Lord came to him and he, and he wept like the apostle Paul, oh my gosh, I've been stealing. I've been thieving. I've been dece deceiving. <clears throat> I have not been stewarding. I have not been allowing people to steward. If he came and gave a press conference that I have a very important thing to say, and I need all the press to be there, what do you think he would say post Damascus Road moment? What would, I don't even know his first name. He's always been Secretary Powell. What would he say? Jerome. Jerome yeah, is his first That's name. right. Jerry Powell. What would Jerry Powell say in front of the press after the Lord Jesus gave him his Damascus Road moment? <laughs> I mean... And he was speaking the truth. Yeah, uh, and he just he realized, say, I've been filled with lies. I've been filling this nation and this world with lies. What would he say? Yeah, he, he would say something to that effect. He'd say, look, we've been laying this on the backs of the smallest uh, people in the, uh, in, the, in, 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 the, in the country. Um, we are the biggest cause of wealth uh, disparity, and the reason we do what we do is because it benefits those in power, bottom line. Oh. Like that, and and. And, and that's the truth. I mean, that is the truth. If you look at it, I mean, all, you know, look at all the extraordinary Fed monetary policies and all this stuff. Like, and, and look at wage gains up until COVID, until there was this insane inflation spike. Wage gains were virtually nil. And yet you have the greatest, biggest, longest bull market in U.S. history. Right? I mean, and that's never occurred before. And so is it just coincidence that that occurs for the first time during a period of extraordinary Fed monetary policy that's never been enacted before. I mean, you could say that's coincidental, but I think it's coincident like falling in a lake gets you wet. You know, like, of course it does. Right. Right. And, and um, no, I just, these, I, you know, I, some of it is the, is the position they're backed into, but you and I both know, and you and I have had these conversations. I, I don't, again, I don't think most of these people act purposely but it's sort of when you get into those roles and you get into those rooms, it's sort of like this quiet wink, wink understanding that, yes, this is the best thing to do for the economy. Uh, uh, I, and, I, I know. But see, Zach, that's why we take every thought captive. That's why when you don't stand on the firm foundation of the Bible and the word of God, you know, Jerome Powell can convince himself, well, this is the way it's done. If people found out, we need to have confidence in the system. If he would just simply sit down and read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Right, right. We, 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 had, a, we had a situation that kind of reminds me of this, and we, we deal with this all the time. If, if you're out there, and I'm not going to paint with too broad a brush, but if you're out there with a pension, okay, you have a pension, yeah. and you're looking to retire, and if you go talk to a bunch of financial advisors, Nine out of 10 of them are going to tell you to take the lump sum distribution of your pension and they're going to tell you you're going to make this amount of money. Da, da, da. Okay. I'm not saying that everything they're saying is a lie. What I'm saying is, does it, does it, do you think it is coincident that you taking a lump sum distribution of your pension also happens to be the thing that benefits them the most financially? Right? Well, so shocking that 90% of them advocate for people taking a lump sum out of their pension. Yeah. And I was just doing a company meeting with this just the other day. 
And whenever we're going to advocate lump sum pensions being paid out, those, those actions have to get my approval because we go through an arduous process of crunching all the numbers and, and seeing really what is best for the client. And I'll just tell you right out of the gate, about 80 to 90% of the time, the best thing for the client is to keep the pension, right? And they're always shocked when we give them that advice. But that goes back to the commitment that you were talking about. And I'm not trying to extol my own virtue, man. I am very much in the camp of grace is my favorite word because it is what I need every single day, every single minute. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right with you on that. And I, I, like I said, I'm not extolling my own virtues, but I'm just saying that unless you're putting that truth first, unless that truth becomes or, or goes ahead of everything else, you're going to make those compromises that they make and you're going to succumb to those wink winks and, and you're going to, you're going to tell the prop, uh, the, the party line. And it kind of goes back to listening to, uh, I, I had some, I, I was lucky enough to know some people that were uh, friends with Steve Largent, that, that knew Steve and uh, uh, obviously an incredible football player and also a, a really strong man of God. And uh, he left DC. I think you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. He just said, not only is it corrupt, but you can't be a good person and say this. No. Like you, you, you can't. It's, it's, it's so very difficult. And Zach Abramson with this, it's knowyourriskradio.com. And I've, you know, I walked away and I said I'd be there for a year and a half. Zach's exactly right. It's very, very difficult. So we do, we're called to pray for those people. I know that's very, very hard. It is for me. Always appreciate you, my brother. Thanks for having me on, pal. It was fun. Go with God's good grace. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and absolutely, let's develop those muscles of praying for people, especially people like Jerome Powell, as hard as that is. Father God, please reveal yourself to them.